knowing what you believe and why you believe it lies at the very heart of Christian experience, worship, and everyday living. The Bible's not about you. You're not David. Trouble in life is not Goliath. Jesus is going to be David in the shadow. Goliath is going to be sin and death. Who's that make you? Uh, and it doesn't make you the Israelites in the corner going, he's going to kill all of us. That's exactly who you are. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Gospel is that God the Son freely agreed to die our death for us, to suffer our deserved condemnation and doom in our place. And he didn't just agree from eternity to do it, he actually did it. It is fatal, fatal for us to think that we can ever move on from the gospel. The great problem in the evangelical church today where the scripture is concerned is not the inerrancy of the Bible. The great problem in the evangelical church today is the sufficiency of scripture. We don't think it's sufficient to do what we have to do. So we have to wake up to what's happening and recognize that the problem really is our lack of theology. Hi, and welcome to Theology Gals. I'm Colleen Sharp, and my co-host is Angela Whitehorn. And we're actually today going to be talking about theology and why it's important. But a few things before we get started. Angela, I know that you and I both, not long ago, I think this afternoon, evening, before we got recording, Tony Arsenal posted in the Reformed Pub, I guess a new podcast he's trying out. It sounds like he's, you know, seeing if people respond to it well. I think it's called the Reform Standard. And they're just going to be short little blurbs on the confession and catechism for what I understand. I listened to the first one, which was six minutes, 19 seconds. But I really liked it. And I was thinking as I was listening, this would be like the perfect thing to like listen to when you got your kids in the car. And even though it might be a little bit more for older kids, I think even younger kids, but not just kids. I think anyone who's new to the catechism and confession, or if you're not new to the catechism and confession, I loved it. So we're going to link that in the episode notes. Go check it out because I think it's going to be a great resource. Yeah. And listen to it too. Um, and I really enjoyed it and I'm an older kid and I liked it. So I, I think it's um, going to be a great resource. It's just a quick little discussion about the catechism question and answer. And I believe that each episode will be one question and answer. Right. And I don't think he's just going to do Westminster. It kind of made it sound like he'll be doing some different stuff in there. So I'm, I'm excited I'm to excited. see with it. I think it's going to be great for a lot mm. of the gals. I know Angela and some people might be able to hear it in your voice. So you've been sick this week. Mm, I've got a little bit of a cold. So I'm just here playing the part of your chain-smoking Auntie Arvazine. <laughs> um, <laughs> hopefully it will be um, not too bad tonight, but uh, that's what's going on with me. It's always this time of year. My kids always bring it home. I'm surprised we haven't had anything yet, but usually it goes through Austin's. I only have one left in school, and it goes through the whole school and seems more mm. with school. I don't know if your kids got it, but. I'm trying to, you know, everybody in our house has been sick except for Jasper and he's the only one at school. <laughs> we brought it home and just shared it. <laughs> We're probably the ones sending it to the school. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so last week, I think we wanted to bring up just a couple of things before we get to today's topic. Last week, we talked with Rebecca Womble about mysticism. And through this week, Angela and I have thought of other things, other examples, really, of mysticism in the church. And I think you had some some thoughts on things that where mysticism is brought into the church by various things. Oh yeah. It's just amazing that the, the longer we talk about it and think about it, how many more things come to mind. It's so pervasive and um, it really is kind of seeping its way into the church through sometimes channels that are not as obvious. Like one of the ways that you and I talked about over this last week, I have known several people who have gotten involved in mysticism by being exposed to it through Christian therapy. And I almost said so-called Christian therapy because I, I'm not sure um, whether or not what um, these folks were going to as therapy really should be called Christian. But, you know, sometimes these techniques are given in therapy as um, ways to work through problems. And so especially the listening prayer and the contemplative prayer and something that we didn't explicitly talk about last week, sozo prayer. And that's very closely related to the listening prayer, but it's much more coming of it out of NAR. And so if you haven't listened to our NAR episode, definitely go back and pick that up. But, you know, these techniques are, are sometimes used in therapy to sort of pray your way back through a situation imagine the situation happening and kind of mentally put yourself there. Listen for God to explain to you what was going on and why you were hurting and listen for God to tell you things about yourself and affirm you um, through those hurtful situations. And so a lot of times that, that of course is an open door straight into mysticism because that's, that's rooted in mysticism. Another way that, that I thought of is, you know, we talked about books last week, but I think we mostly talked about books that are not explicitly Christian or that are, uh, I know that uh, Rebecca mentioned a book by Lisa Bevere, who I believe we would call a false teacher. That's, um, I know that the Beveres are involved in prosperity gospel, but I, I started thinking about books that really are written by Christian authors, but have introduced um, mysticism into the church. One in particular that I that comes straight to my mind, Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. And this book has been extremely popular. It was first published in 1976. I have the book. I've read it. Um, it was given to us as a gift when we were members at an SBC where my husband was a Sunday school teacher. And the, the book is a lengthy treatment on our need to explicitly seek the, the will of God in all of these very detailed situations. And so it, it's definitely giving you the idea that you need to, you have to make a decision. Uh, and of course, we talked about lots of choices last week, like uh, who to marry, what college to go to, um, what job to take. This, this book, Experiencing God, gives you sort of a, it lays out a plan for you need to find out directly God's answer to those questions. And it's very explicit that you can make a wrong choice and you can mess it up and you can be out of God's will. And that particular teaching is, you know, sort of undergirded with what I would say is poor theology about God and who God is and his sovereignty. Um, but that very idea that there is a specific, a lot of times it's called perfect will 
for my life about specific things that I need to be finding out. That sort of doctrine there is driving people to to then move into mysticism to seek those answers. I remember that book specifically just from my growing up. I'd hear about it, but I, I never read it. But I remember when I was in Bible college, discussions about this sort of thing, and it sounds very similar to what you're describing. And there was a big kind of debate discussion about the will of God in who you marry and that you could marry outside of God's will by marrying the wrong person. And we weren't taught, we're not talking about something where the a Christian goes and marries a non-Christian, which if a Christian marries a non-Christian, that's obviously disobedient to God. But we always remember that God is sovereign, that nothing is outside of his decree, um, but we are still to live in obedience. But I remember sitting in our student lounge and talking with some friends, and they were talking about how you could marry the wrong person and be outside the perfect will of God. And I said, well, if one person in the entire world marries the wrong person, it messes up everything. <laughs> That's the way it works, right? Oh, then they Colleen. have babies that weren't supposed to be born. And then, oh you know, my goodness. And everything, I mean, it, it reminds me of how we talk about if just one molecule isn't in God's <laughs> control, then, then he's not in control. And so even, even though, yes, we, we can disobey, we can do things that are disobedient to what God has told us is right and good. I don't know. If I've, I think I would live really tortured if I, you know, what if I moved to the wrong house or buy the wrong car or send my child to the wrong school or, I mean, everything, I can mess everything up, you know? I then, mean, what do I do? Like then? last week, what if you wear, what if you wear the wrong makeup look on right. Tuesday? That's right. You get the family pictures then, with the pink eyeshadow instead of the green. And they're there forever. And then, yeah. And then you you meet someone wearing the pink eyeshadow instead of the green eyeshadow. So you marry the wrong person. Then you have the wrong babies. And it's just a nonstop. It's a lot of pressure. Oh, it <laughs> I, is. I never knew we were so powerful. Right. And I, I talked to someone this week and, you know, she was she was talking about ways in which she'd failed and in certain things and decisions that she made. And I just said, and, but you have the comfort of Christ Mm -hmm. that, that yes, every one of us messes up and Christ came and he died on the cross and he washes our sins away, but he also obeyed the law perfectly. So when we're clothed in his righteousness, it's as if we always obeyed the law perfectly. And we could, you could, I could torture myself if, if I really believed in this, because I would be second guessing everything. Did I really hear God say that I should buy that house instead of that house? You know, did I really hear God say this or that? And I have friends who believe that they hear from God. And, and I know I've had conversations where they say, I think God told me this, but I'm not sure. And when God spoke, in scripture, when he really spoke to people, they knew, okay, there was no right. question who it was. So yeah, it's, it's almost scary how much mysticism has entered into broad evangelicalism, because in some of my reading, I learned that a lot of this stuff, at least in American Christianity, well, you had revivalism, you had Finney, you had the emphasis on experientialism with Finney. And if you if you want to read some horrific stuff, read some of Finney's systematic theology sometime. It's awful. But the, you had this emphasis on experience above everything else. And 
but a lot of the experientialism was really within the charismatic movement, although it was outside of it, but we're talking maybe in the early part of the 20th century. And, but it's really seeped to a much greater degree into broader Christianity, I think. And these, the experientialism, the mysticism, different things like that. Definitely. It's wonderful to see the stark contrast between that and our reformed faith where we focus on the word of God, the ordinary means of grace, worship in the gathered assembly. It's so comforting to know that God has ordained these means to grow me in his truth. And it just takes so much pressure off. Right. Even understanding sanctification correctly, mm. that there's not this big weight on my shoulders that I've got to sanctify myself appropriately, but that I am being sanctified by the Lord, that I will grow in obedience because of the work that he is doing in me. And I find just so much comfort in being able to rest in him and his work and who he is. And I think this is a great time to kind of introduce our topic tonight. So often we see things around and we've all heard different things like, you know, I'm just not really into theology. Um, We just need to all love Jesus and no creed, but Christ, you know, these sorts of, of things, you know, it's, it's about your heart, not about your intellect. And just as, and really the emphasis is on that very thing that you were talking about, Angela, experiencing God, where that becomes the primary aspect of our faith, at least the the way that these people emphasize it. It's almost that the experience is the foundational aspect instead of the truth of God's word being the foundational aspect. And I know we've got some people who love theology, love reading theology books. I know we have some listeners that are a little bit overwhelmed. You know, they they overhear their husband and a man at church talking theology, and they're saying, I have no idea what they're talking about, and might feel overwhelmed and not even maybe understand what theology is, because theology does not have to be going out and read, reading the biggest systematic theology book. But we really want to talk about what is theology, why it's important, why it's for every single one of us as Christians. So just for those, to start, for those that are new to theology, Angela, what is theology? Yeah, so theology is the study of the nature of God and religious belief, and that's just a basic dictionary definition, so we've got a little bit more details about it. The word theology comes from two Greek words that when they're combined, they mean the study of God. And anytime we're studying scripture or doctrine, it is theology. Sounds to me like all Christians should be theologians then. And we're not talking about going out and getting your degree in theology at the seminary, but in a sense, every Christian should be a theologian. And I have this great little quote from Michael Horton. He says, theology simply means the study of God, and doctrine means teaching, since the main message of Scripture is the unfolding mystery of Christ who reveals his Father and reconciles us to him. Theology is a central concern of every believer. It would be odd if we told our spouse or other loved ones that we wanted to spend time with them and experience their fellowship regularly, but did not want to know anything about them, their characteristics, accomplishments, personal histories, likes and dislikes, and plans for the future. 
that I, I love that analogy because I think my husband, if I said, you know, just be quiet, I don't want to hear what you have to say or what you have to think. I just want to experience you. He'd probably give me a funny look. You know, how can you experience me if you don't know me? <laughs> you know, <laughs> right, right. And it, it's, it's amazing. Like I, I have heard, um, the analogy before, um, what if you knew someone, um, who had written a book and it was their magnum opus. They had spent their whole life on it. And you told that person, I just love you so much, but I refuse to read what you wrote. I don't want to read. That's not important to me. I just want to experience you. Well, you're missing out on a very big part of what that person is and, and a way to understand that person. And that's what we have in the word of God. It is his um, way of revealing himself to us. And so, you know, talking about should every Christian be a theologian, um, I think it's an interesting thought to consider that maybe every Christian already is a theologian because we have thoughts about God and we have ideas about God and who he is and what our purpose is here, what his plans are for um, us here. And those may or may not be correct. So we are a theologian, whether we think that we are or not, and we need to allow the word of God to help us get our theology correct so that we do actually know the one true God and not a God that we've made in our own mind. So we are theologians. It's just a matter of whether we're good theologians or not so good theologians. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I wrote down just, I promise this is my last Michael Horton quote for the night, but <laughs> this is one of my very favorite quotes from him. And so you've probably heard me say it before, but I'm, it fits into the whole theme of, of this topic. He says, many Christians assume that we can just experience God in a personal relationship apart from doctrine but that's impossible. You cannot experience God without knowing who he is, what he has done, and who you are in relation to him. Even our most basic Christian experiences and commitments are theological. I just love Jesus, some say, but who is Jesus and why do you love him? And I love that part. You know, when people are out there saying, I'm not religious or into the Bible or anything, but I just love Jesus. Okay, well, who's Jesus? Why do you love him? That's such an mm -hmm. important question. And that this is what theology and why it's so important is, is all about, really, is we want to know who Jesus is and why we love him. Uh, one of the, so Angela and I want to go through and we just want to talk about some of the reasons why theology is important and hopefully get each of you to think. And we're not saying you have to all go out and you read, you know, Bavink's Systematic Theology or... But if Turretin, you want to, go yeah, on and do that. you can. <laughs> that may not be a best place to start if you've not read mm -hmm. any before. And one thing I will do in this episode is I'm going to put some suggestions for like introductory theology books. And mm -hmm. anytime we're studying scripture, we're studying theology, but we also think understanding basic doctrine is very important too. And we'll get to why that's important also. It's it's important to understand the Trinity. It, right. It's important to understand the Orthodox view of the Trinity. That's been the Orthodox view throughout church history. Those are important things to understand too, because those are common doctrines that people have errors on, which we'll see later on. But let's start with our first point, which is theology is foundational to our faith. I mean, if we are Christians, theology, who God is, 
and studying him should be a foundation of our faith in this is how we know what we believe, what we believe and why we believe it. Mm, Yes, definitely. And especially because, you know, talking about theology being foundational to our faith, I mean, we have to understand what faith is and our faith, the object of our faith is Jesus Christ. For In order for us to understand how that works, we have to understand who he is. We have to, um, you know, you were talking about the Trinity and some of those basic Christian doctrines. And this is where the creeds can be very helpful in spelling out some of those basic Christian doctrines. We don't have to reinvent the wheel individually. We can take a look at what the church has confessed for a long, long time. And um, we can confess those orthodox doctrines with the church throughout history instead of coming, feeling like we have to come up with it all on our own. We don't have to do that. And so those foundational things are available for us to find, read, um, work at understanding, and let, let those help us refine our understanding of those basic doctrines. Yeah, I was thinking of John 4.24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Well, where is our standard for truth? It is the word of God. Even worship is something that is so often misunderstood where worship has become about an experience instead of worshiping the one and true God in the ways that he's commanded us to do so. When we know the word of God, these are things that we know. We know that he's to be worshiped. We know how he is to be worshiped, how he's told us to worship. But the other thing is understanding law and gospel. Law and gospel is a theme throughout the entirety of scripture. So understanding what the law is, what the gospel is, why those are important. Those are important theological truths that are helpful as we study the word of God. Absolutely. And I love that you um, used law and gospel as an example, because that was that distinction, what the law is and what the gospel is, why they're different, why they're not the same thing, why we need both of them. All of that was so very new to me um, in studying Reformed theology. And it was the biggest light bulb moment for me because it was not really a distinction that I had ever heard growing up or in um, churches that I had attended as an adult. And that distinction just helped me understand further who God is, who I am, um, what his standard is, how I fall short, and what is his plan to do something about that, to redeem me. Um, it, It does not get more foundational than that. Knowing basic doctrinal beliefs and theological standards, when I'm reading through scripture, if I read a command and it's telling me to do something, telling me what is right and good. And as a Christian, I want to obey that, but I want to also understand why I'm obeying that. Am I obeying that to gain favor with God? Or am I obeying that because of the work that Christ has done on the cross and his work in my life? And so having some basic theological knowledge is very helpful as we read through scripture. If I took certain passages out of context and did not understand the entirety of scripture, the message throughout the word of God, I'd probably get really discouraged because I think, well, wait, I'm failing on all of these. But I know that who I am in Christ and that I am free to obey because of what he's done for me, not because I'm trying to be good enough for him. Right. Exactly. You know, before the gospel um, takes root in our hearts, 
the law brings condemnation on me and shows me how holy God is and how far I fall short of that. But as after the gospel, then the law, I, I learned to love the law and understand that this is a picture of who God is. And because I have Jesus Christ's righteousness saving me and making me just before God, I am now free to obey and love the law, not to earn my standing with God, but out of gratitude for what he's done for me. And we should we should want to do that. But I, as I attended a Wesleyan Arminian Bible college, it was such a different emphasis on the law. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't obey well enough, you were in danger of losing your salvation. And so I think having a correct understanding of things like that is so important to our Christian uh, to our Christian lives in to our Christian faith and practice. Oh yes, I um it's it was pretty mind-blowing to me. I actually had a conversation with a person probably close to a year ago who was coming from that same Wesleyan background um who told me that she had not sinned in 2 years. And of course I asked how that was possible and the the ultimate breakdown of the answer worked out to a very low view of God's law. So a redefining of what sin is, and then a very high view of man and man's ability to perform. And so, of course, all of that goes back to foundational theology, understanding how high God's standard is, how holy he is, and how low my ability to perform is. And I think that's a good segue into our next important reason, which is to understand who we are in Christ. Philippians 3.10 says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And that's, that's theology right there. We want, we want to know Christ because of what he has done, because of his death and resurrection, because of his perfect life. But it's because of those things that we can identify who we are in Christ. Yes. Do you know, this makes me think about, again, um, comparing good theology to bad theology. I've, I've come across a teaching that says that the cross reveals my value and how worthy I am and my high worth. And, you know, the interesting thing there is the cross reveals the depravity of my sin and how much wrath there was to pay for my sin. My value is only in Christ. Who we are in Christ is, is again, very foundational to our whole faith. That's why we have faith in him, because we understand that we're sinners in need of a savior. So understanding that he has saved us, understanding that we're his children, those are so important. And that is that those are theological things right there. And very important to our faith. Right. And knowing that when, when we are regenerated, when we trust Christ um, in faith, that we are united to Christ. And so we know that when the Father sees us, He sees Christ's righteousness. And so that, that should ground my ability to be confident in um, growing and learning about the law and obeying. It should grow me in my assurance in knowing that I'm adopted um, into, into God's family, and there is nothing that can change that. So I am now free to do the good works that he prepared for us in advance. Our next one is to know God and love him. And I, I was just thinking of Second Peter 3.18 that says, but to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So 
it's not just to grow in the experience of our Lord Jesus Christ, but to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We can't do that just, you know, carrying around our Bible and never opening it and never studying it. We grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ by studying the Word of God, by by knowing what He's told us. I mean, the Word of God is it's living and active. It is it's powerful. It's our foundation for all of truth. And how do we know who God is and and why we ought to love him? It's from the truths in the word of God. And as we study those, that that's theology right there. Definitely. Second Peter 3.18 tells us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. I mean, this is a key part of how we glorify him is to grow in grace and knowledge of who he is. And so I'm remembering um, some things that we talked about in a recent episode about discernment. We talked about how many times the word of God commands us to grow up. Um, and it's, it's not talking about growing up in experience and having more and more ecstatic experiences. It always connects this idea of growing up with knowledge, the knowledge of who God is. And of course, we know as we say it over and over, where we get that knowledge is the word of God. Right. And I'm even thinking of in in the Old Testament when it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might and Deuteronomy and we have the Ten Commandments and we have, we're told ways there in which we can love God. And we're told in the New Testament to love God and our neighbor. Well, how do we know how to love God and our neighbor? By studying the word of God, by understanding correct theology. I'll move on to the next one. And that we did a whole episode on this. So I'll link in the episode notes. If you haven't heard, it was only a few weeks ago. But the another reason why studying theology is important is for discernment. This last couple of weeks, I think we may have mentioned it last week. I can't remember for sure, but there's been some things going on on social media with a Hebrew Roots sort of organization. And a while back, I had joined their group just because a gal had pointed it out to me and said, you need to check out what's going on in here. And there was a lot of women who were not knowledgeable in the word of God. And they were going into this group and they, there's someone in this group who kind of sets herself, herself up as the expert. And she was telling them things that were just simply not true. You need to worship on Saturday. Uh, you need to do all of these old Testament laws. You need to be kosher. You need to do all these things. And all of these women were eating it up. The reason was, is they were not discerning. They did not know the word of God and correct theology enough to know that the things they were being taught in this group were not biblical. Right. And so when we don't know the word of God, it makes it very easy for us to be deceived by these kinds of false teachings. And, and so that's what we mean when we say that studying theology is good for discernment, because the more and more we look at the truth and understand the truth, the easier it is to spot the faith. Well, and I'm even thinking about the Bereans. You know, we a lot of times people will talk about the Bereans and and but let's just really think about it for a second. They were being sure that the things that they were being taught lined up with the word of God. That's what we always ought to do to make sure that the things that were being taught line up with the word of God. And I think especially with social media today, I've watched so many people, so many people just become so easily deceived. I mean, I'm going to bring it up again. I have watched people I know 
buy into federal vision very recently even. And it sounds good to them. The teacher that they like teaches it and he's not going to teach anything wrong, right? You know, have you really compared it with the word of God? And that's important with anything that we are going to embrace theologically. We need to make sure to study the word of God and make sure that the things that we're believing are consistent with the word of God. The things we're being taught are consistent with the word of God. That's what being discerning is all about. Absolutely. And this is something that we've talked about before and not just with federal vision, other doctrines as well. Um, Don't be persuaded by a strong personality on the internet. Go to the word of God, test what you're being told and this will not fail you. Um, We have seen um, women be persuaded of a whole list of different doctrines because it seems like it's the popular thing lately or because there's a strong personality pushing a certain doctrine. And we just really strongly encourage people to study for themselves test things, have a healthy amount of skepticism even, study with your husband or your wife at home and test things before you adopt new doctrines. Yeah. And don't be blown by every wind of doctrine that comes along. Don't be convinced of something on a Facebook post. We've seen it time and time again. Even if you're coming my way, no, you did not get convinced of infant baptism on a Facebook post. You haven't had time to study. It's been five minutes. Um, You need to be out there studying it, talking to your pastors, talking to your husband or wife, talking to, uh, if you're a woman, talking to older women, you know, don't allow yourself to be easily influenced by people that you like. It's easy to do that. I, I get that. I've, I've been there and, you know, I want to believe what this person that I like and I get along with is saying, but it's important to make sure that you're out there studying the word of God, making sure that the doctrine that you're believing is sound. And you know what? I want to say something else too. Um, We have definitely seen women um, more than once be convinced of doctrines on the internet very quickly, feels like overnight. And we've been distressed over that. But you know what I've also been encouraged by is um, seeing other women study the word of God and theology and grow deeper and deeper in their knowledge of the Lord um, and theology and stand up for true doctrine. And some have, have really lost relationships or had to deal with very difficult conversations with family, um, and that sort of thing. And so I just want to encourage our listeners that if that's going on with you, I'm really blessed by seeing women, um, study the word of God and stand up for the truth, even when it's hard. So, we just think that that's very important. I'm so glad that you brought that up because that what Angela is saying, we've seen so much of that. And I'll even be specific. When we were talking about federal vision, we did the episodes on federal vision. There were several women that came and said, okay, I don't know what federal vision is and I want to understand it. And I have friends that believe it. So I really want to understand it next to scripture. And I was just so encouraged by the time that these women took to really understand it and to dig into the word of God and understand sound doctrine. And they came back and said, you're right. This is not consistent with the word of God. This is not biblical. And I'm, I'm encouraged because I'm seeing so many more women interested in theology that they want to understand 
sound doctrine. They want to be in the word of God. And so I'm glad you brought that up. So it's not because the next section we're about to talk about might get a little bit discouraging. So it's important that we, <laughs> that we say, I mean, the, the amount of listeners that were, that we've picked up the last few months, even, and letters that I've gotten, one lady said to me, she said, you know, my husband was always into theology and I read my Bible and I knew, I knew the foundational truths. She said, but I just wasn't, I was always like overwhelmed. Like, I don't think I can understand that stuff. And then I started listening to your podcast. So now I'm, she said, now I'm reading some theological books and I'm loving it. And I was, I was just so encouraged by that. There's been several podcasts on this and this is, that's why we did not want to do an entire podcast on this. But when we did our our episode on moralistic therapeutic deism, we cited an old state of theology survey. And then that next week they came out with the new one. So the one we cited on the moralistic therapeutic deism one was I think from 2016. And it, it was from uh, Ligonier did this survey of evangelicals and asked them some questions. And I think it's important to just touch on this so we understand why theology is important. Because theology really is not emphasized in so much of Christianity today and so much of evangelicalism today. And I think with these results that just came out, it's kind of sad. Like I was almost in tears reading some of these so Angela and I just want to, we're just going to go through and talk about a few of these just to make the point of what happens when theology is not emphasized. Uh, this was, this was people that would call themselves evangelicals. And this one is everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. Okay. Uh, I think most of the gals in our group understand total depravity. Under, even if you're not a Calvinist, you understand original sin. But this one says everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. It was 52% of evangelicals agreed with that. I mean, yeah, that's that, kind of scary. It's pretty scary. Only 27% disagree with this statement. Um, and of course, we're a Reformed podcast. We know that the doctrine of total depravity tells us we are not good by nature. We have original sin that corrupts us in the whole man. And so we are not good by nature. Before we're regenerated, everything that we do is sin. And so we certainly disagree with this. And it's it's very discouraging to see that more than half of evangelicals believe that we're good by nature. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God is what the Word of God says. The next item on the survey was God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. And this was interesting because they gave the 2018 results and the 2016 results. And you can see that there's a shift to where more and more people who claim to be evangelical Christians agree with this statement. 51% agree that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. That's just very discouraging. Well, and if you if you think, oh, they're just talking to certain people, the most popular book for women this year that we've talked about quite a bit is Girl, Wash Your Face. And I think that that's the message in that book where she talks about it doesn't matter if you worship God or Allah or you're Mormon or, you know, just as long as you, as long as you worship, that's all that's important. And we know from the word of God that this is just blatantly false. And it, it, this question 
reminds me as well of the girl, wash your face stuff that we've talked about several times now on several episodes. Um, I remember the post by Rachel Hollis that made this exact claim that it doesn't matter who you worship as long as you're out there worshiping. And we know that that's not true. There is one true God and he is the one that we should be worshiping. And we're even told that Jesus is the way, truth, and life. And no man comes to the Father but by me, is what Jesus said. So, and it has to be the Jesus of the Bible. I was talking to one of my children recently about how, even though Mormons say, well, yeah, I believe in Jesus, it's not the same Jesus. Because the Jesus that we believe in was not a son of God the Father that had a fight with his brother, Lucifer. And, you know, this is not the same same Jesus in these other religions, even if they claim to believe in Jesus. Right. We were talking about the Trinity earlier, and one of the questions was, there is one true God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This one was more encouraging because it was 97% agree versus three that disagree. So at least there's something strong on that one. But then you get to Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. 78% agree Mm. that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. So, so while it looked like there was an, a correct understanding of the Trinity, you go to the next question. No, there was not a correct understanding of the Trinity after all. Of course, we know then that the belief that Jesus was created and not divine is a, a historic heresy called Arianism. It goes back to AD 250-ish, um, started with Arius. And this doctrine has already been denounced by the church for now thousands of years. And we have 78% of evangelicals answering this poll and saying that they believe in Arianism. That is very, very discouraging. And you said, I think earlier, that there's nothing new under the sun. And all of the heresies that you see today go back to heresies in the early church. They might change a little Mm -hmm. bit, but they all go back to the early church. These battles were fought in early church history. These things have been deemed heresy, but that that's kind of scary because that would make 78% of evangelicals essentially heretics. (laughs) Exactly. There's sort of a, a modern related one um, called kenosis, the idea that Jesus emptied himself of his divinity while he was on earth. And I know that's taught in in the NAR, Word of Faith, and Prosperity Gospel circles, and that's closely related. And I wonder if that is driving some of this answer here, um, where people are comfortable thinking that Jesus was created. You know what? I think that you're probably right, Angela, uh, because these people are hearing these things somewhere. They've gotten these ideas Mm -hmm somewhere. And NAR has definitely been influential, even in evangelicalism, even if you're not in an NAR church, you may be singing Hillsong or Bethel music. So um, I'm going to move down a little bit. This one, this one really made me sad. Religious belief is a matter of personal opinion. It is not about objective truth. 60% agreed with that. So it, Mm. This just makes me think again of moralistic therapeutic deism. You know, what is our faith about? Are we leaving out sin and the need for a savior? I mean, this is, these are scary answers 
this is why I've said it's important, even if your next door neighbor says, oh, I'm a Christian, I go to Corner Community every Sunday to have conversations. You don't need to go and ask them the theological state of theology survey questions, but having questions and finding out if they do understand that they're sinners in need of a savior. Right. And this, this question reminds me too of something called relativism. And it goes back to the idea that maybe there is no such thing as objective truth. Each person determines their own truth. And I think that it would be scary to know that there are probably a lot of people identifying as evangelicals who would probably agree with that statement. This statement is similar, not exactly the same, but if your religious belief is just a matter of personal opinion and it's not about objective truth, then my reason for going to the gathered assembly on Sunday becomes meeting my needs and my felt needs, whatever I think they are and not about consuming the objective truth about God. And that may be why we see sort of the state of evangelicalism, what it is, like you were saying with the moralistic therapeutic deism, it's there to serve me and make me feel good um, instead of there to tell me the truth about who God is, who I am, my sin, my need for a savior. All of those things that I just said are objective truths. And so if that's up for discussion, then that's the basics of Christianity right there. You know, one thing uh, I wanted to mention is I want to link this survey if you haven't seen it yet because it's been going on. But they actually were surveying people in the tw- 18 to 34 year age bracket. And I really wonder if they had talked to older people who considered them evangelicals, if the answers would have been more in line with Orthodox Christianity. But because this is the answers that 18 to 34-year-olds are giving, it really gives you a picture of what uh, evangelicalism is going to look like. I think we're going to continue on this slide. Yeah, I definitely agree. It's, it's worth reading through this just to, to think about you know, maybe some of the things that people that we know and rub shoulders with in our circles need help understanding. So I wanted to talk about some of the things that have caused this, but also resulted because of this, because I think it's actually both of those things. I think that if you want to study American church history, reading The Lost Soul of American Protestantism by D.G. Hart or Has American Christianity Failed by Brian Wolf Mueller, we had him on the podcast, that those books really kind of show you how we got here. How did we get from Mm -hmm. a time where it was the Puritans and theology was important to here? And what, I mean, if you look at the Great Awakenings, definitely, if you look at uh, Charles Finney, I think has been very influential in American evangelicalism and the experientialism. What's interesting, if you look at some of these people like Finney that influenced, it wasn't just that they were bringing things like experientialism into it, but they also were bringing their own bad theology. I mean, Finney was pretty close to a full-on Pelagian. He, He thought that he, I mean, he had some quote that said that Christ was Christ's death was only sufficient to justify himself. He didn't believe in original sin. He thought you could lose your salvation and you could live righteously, not in the way that we speak of, but in the Wesleyan way. But I think experientialism Mm -hmm. is definitely one of the things that's influenced 
uh, what the state of theology. Um, and we're going to link um, a great article in our show notes written by Michael Horton about um, Charles Finney. I read this article first maybe a year ago, and it just wowed me realizing so much of what he thought about how to prod people to declare belief in Christ. It, it, it just drives so much of American evangelicalism. It is frightening. Um, and just like you were saying, Colleen, terrible, terrible theology. Um, he, he wrote a systematic theology. That's horrible. <laughs> and um, I mean, he believed that whenever we commit a sin, we cease to be a Christian. Um, just so many terrible beliefs. Um, he had something called the anxious bench um, where he believed that we could manipulate people. He explicitly believed this um, by pushing their emotions to want to make a decision. And we see a lot of that in American um, decisionalism, those type of, of churches and in that type of movement. And it, it can be devastating because when you couple that with, like you said, Colleen, pretty close to Pelagianism, it's um, we get false conversions, first of all, and then we get a lot of people trying to earn their salvation. And so we're going to link that that article in the show notes. And then there's also a great episode of White Horse Inn um, about Charles Finney that we will link. I think these are really, really important um, for everybody to listen to, read, and think about, do we see aspects of this in our Christianity in America today? It's definitely there. We may have to do an episode on why church history is important, mm. because I'm thinking about that this whole entire episode. If we understand the early heresies, if we understand what's come before us, if we understand why certain things have become prevalent in Christianity today, if we understand where they came from, I think that it's been very, I know for me, it's been extremely helpful when I started studying Reformed theology. And then I think that article from Michael Horton is I think it's from a modern reformation from the nineties. And I read it when it first came out. And since I'd come from a Wesleyan Arminian Bible college that, that thought Finney was wonderful. It was just very eye opening to me. But one of the things that really has happened because of the lack of emphasis on having correct theology, the lack of emphasis on studying theology is that we have people believing heresies and they don't know the word of God mm -hmm. enough to know. They don't know even foundational truths of the Christian faith. And we just saw that with the state of theology survey that in the early church, right. they would be deemed heretics. Right. It's amazing. I remember listening to a podcast about six months ago that was talking about a seminary professor who teaches kind of an intro to theology class. And this professor was talking about um, noticing that the incoming classes of students more and more and more did not believe in a bodily resurrection because they were never taught this in your basic run-of-the-mill evangelical church. And so the entire episode was talking about how this is a heresy, it's Gnosticism. <laughs> and um, the, the, sort of restructuring of that basic theology class in seminary to, to test students on, okay, do you believe any of these classic heresies and let's learn what they are and let's, let's learn the truth instead. Um, it was pretty fascinating. Um, but I agree that because we 
sort of lack um, solid theology sometimes in our churches, or we are not um, studying theology on our own, then we can easily fall into some of these heresies that are that are basic that have already been addressed by the church. One of our group admins at their church, it's a OPC. They the teenagers actually go through a theology course, and I think that's so great that they do that. I think they've been read through a easier to read systematic theology, and these are things that we should be teaching our children too. The the last thing that I'll touch on, and these aren't the only ones, but the last thing I'll touch on is there's a lack of discernment because of this. When the most popular book in American evangelicalism right now is Girl Wash Your Face that has a false gospel in it and every and it's being used for Bible studies. I mean a, a book with a false gospel. We know that the most popular that many of the most popular teachers, especially for women, are are teaching wrong theology. And because these women don't know the Word of God, because they don't know sound doctrine, they're not recognizing it. It sounds good to them. It's a Christian book, right? Right. And, you know, we've re- received some criticism for talking about that book and pointing out that it does have a false gospel. And then we also have ladies in our group who have shared that information with friends and also received sort of some negative feedback from that. And a lot of times the feedback comes in the form of you're being mean. It's unkind to say that this person, um, what they are saying is not Christian. And, you know, this goes back to lack of discernment, not recognizing false teachers and false teaching. If we know the word of God, then we know that it says, first of all, that there will be false teachers. Second of all, that we are to test what they teach and identify them. And that, uh, again, we talked about this on our discernment episode, the person who is pointing out the false teaching is not the one who's being divisive. The word of God says that the person who is bringing the false teaching into the church, that is the person who is being divisive. And that is the person who should be rebuked. Um, And so as we've said so many times on this episode now, it's so important to know the word of God and um, study of basic theology aids us in our ability to do that. And we're going to put in the episode notes, a list of some great books to start out with. If you've never read any theology books whatsoever, and you want something that's going to be an easy read and is going to be a great introduction to theology, I will highly recommend Michael Horton's Putting Amazing Back into Grace, because that was the first really book on Reformed theology that I ever read. And it's it's not difficult to read. It's an enjoyable read, and it's it's not overwhelming. It won't overwhelm you. I'll list that and some other and some other books. And I'll I'll list books for kind of easy to more difficult. Ashley sent me something that she thought would be a great yeah about that. And I think it might be good within this discussion. You were talking about the criticism. We weren't being loving. We were being divisive. Uh, So she sent me a, a picture from Instagram, and it's a girl wearing a shirt. And this is what the shirt says. Love thy neighbor, thy homeless neighbor, thy Muslim neighbor, thy black neighbor, thy gay neighbor, thy immigrant neighbor, thy Christian neighbor, thy Jewish neighbor, thy atheist neighbor, 
thy addicted neighbor. Now, of course, we agree that we should love all of those neighbors, but I don't think that that's the message the shirt is actually Mm. trying to make. Yes. I think the issue we would have here is let's define what we mean by love. From that list, a big part of how I'm going to love that neighbor is share the gospel with them. Right. You know, the Bible dictionary says, um, I, there's several different definitions, but one of them is unselfish, loyal, and benevolent concern for the well-being of another. If I love somebody, if my son is, is in my house and the house is on fire, I'm going to rescue him because I love him. And I might hurt him in the rescue because I want to get him out of the fire. And I know that there are Christians out there who do not approach things well, um, you know, standing outside of funerals with God hates fag signs is not really the right approach, I don't think. Um, in fact, I think it's a pretty wicked approach. Mm. But we, we do show love to all of those people. And we do that, by, but we affirm the truths in God's word. Right. And I think they're saying, if you judge me for being sinful, then you're not being loving. I think that's really what they're saying. If you think I'm sinful, even. Right. And a lot of times in this type of discussion, love me translates into affirm me and my choices. And we know that we have um, God's law as our standard for what is right and what is wrong. And so what we do as believers is we affirm that and we give people who we love and care about and care about their eternal well-being. We give them that law and tell them that they don't measure up and that's the truth. And then we give them the gospel and tell them that someone else has measured up for you. Someone else has done the work. Someone else has paid the penalty for you. And that is Jesus Christ. And you can put your trust in him for your righteousness instead of yourself. But simply affirming someone in their sin and saying, hey, you're good to go, it's not the truth and it's not loving. Jesus loves you just the way you are. And if you try your hardest, you're going to go to heaven. Allowing someone to continue to believe that, which is not truth, is not loving. Right. And we should do it. Let me just say, we should do it always with grace and kindness and gentleness I think that there is a really false view out there that making any judgments, considering considering anything wrong because it's different than you is not loving, but they're not defining love the way the Word of God defines love. They're defining mm-hmm. love in a non-Christian way. A therapeutic way. <laughs> you know what? That's a great example. <laughs> well, we appreciate you all joining us. I did want to tell you, because we talked tonight about why theology is important, we want to do an episode on studying the Word of God, which will be coming up possibly next week, because we've gotten several requests from people saying, I I want help. You know, how do I study the Word of God? And so that will be coming up uh, shortly. And if you want Theology Gals merchandise, there's a link in the episode notes. Or if you want to support us monthly to cover our costs, there's also a link to our Patreon page where you can do that in the episode notes. Well, we appreciate everyone joining us, and we'll see you next week.